Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to today's In Conversation With podcast. Today we are talking about the menopause. This is a subject that comes up time and time again. The volume of questions we've had from our readers on this subject is quite literally unprecedented. And I'm thrilled to welcome two experts today to answer them for you. Uh, First up is Emma Bardwell. She's a nutritionist, a women's health specialist. She's known as the menopause nutritionist. And also Dr. Shazadi Harper, a Holly Street menopause and wellbeing doctor. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I feel we've got quite a task to get through today um, based on the volume of questions that we've had. We're going to jump straight in and start off with saying, what exactly is the menopause and why does it happen? The menopause is when your periods end. What happens is your hormones, estrogen and progesterone, which are produced by the ovaries, the ovaries stop producing them. So you're no longer fertile, you're no longer able to have children. And this typically happens at the age of 51. Um, So on average, that's when it happens for most women. And what's the main hormonal change that's taking place at this time? So what's happening is the hormones, estrogen and progesterone, which make us women effectively, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the ones that sort of kick in at puberty and give us our curves and our periods. Those hormones decline. The ovaries stop producing it. And in that run up leading up to that time, which is called the perimenopause, those hormones are fluctuating. So they're diminishing as we get older. And the actual menopause itself, the period that you're in the menopause, typically, I know it varies, like, all these answers, I mean, I'll say now it varies from woman to woman. Everyone's different. But on average, if we've got to take an average, how long does it last for? About four to seven years. I mean, some for some Ooh. women, it can be longer. You know, typically symptoms tend to start when you're about 47. We say four to seven, but for some women, it can be 10 to 12 years. So, um, yeah, Gosh. on average. Does the age that you started your period predetermine when you might start your menopause? If you're an early period starter, you more likely to get your menopause earlier. Not really. I mean, I would say that doesn't really determine it. Things that more determine when your menopause occurs is maybe your ethnicity. You know, if you're of black, Southeast Asian descent, you might go through it a bit earlier. If you're a smoker, you tend to go through it two years earlier. If you've not had any children, you tend to go through it a few years earlier. If you've had IVF, you may well do so. Your periods in themselves, you know, when they started, I don't usually say that has a huge bearing. However, if your mother went through an early menopause, then you may well go through an earlier menopause. And that's something to bear in mind if you're planning children, you know, that kind of thing. So you're from point of view fertility. Yeah, these things do tend to be quite genetic, don't they? I remember getting my period the exact same time as my mother. What about the perimenopause? We're going to talk quite a bit about. Emma, how does this differ 
from the menopause and when does it happen? Well, it happens before the menopause, yeah. doesn't it? But yeah. can you tell us about, about the difference? Is this your body just preparing yourself? Basically, yeah. So the menopause happens, the average age, you're 51. And that's, as Shazadi has said, when your periods actually stop for good. The perimenopause is that lead up. And it's often the time when women start to experience kind of troublesome symptoms. So lots of people actually use the term menopause when they mean perimenopause. Symptoms can start as early as your late 30s, early 40s, which I think is why it's so important that women are prepared. So one of the first signs that you might be entering perimenopause is when your periods start becoming sort of more erratic and less regular. So they might get further apart. You might find you suddenly have two very close together. You might skip a few, you know, then everything becomes normal. You might get lighter bleeding, heavier bleeding, or they might stay exactly the same. The truth is we're all very different and everyone has a very unique kind of journey. And is there a way that you can delay that starting? So, for example, I have the marina coil and so I barely have a period. Is, is that something you can do? Are there things you can do that can delay the onset of the perimenopause? It won't actually delay it. Having the marina coil may mean that you're not tuned into your cycle because you're not getting periods. So you mm. might not be quite as aware that things are starting to kind of go off track, right, yeah. let's say. But um, the good thing, actually, sorry, about the marina is that if you go down the HRT route, it can provide the progesterone component of your hormone therapy. Can I just add, though, that um, one of the things with the Mirena coil is that if you've got it and you think you might be going through perimenopause, but you're not sure, it's one of the times when, you know, you could have a blood test done because we don't often do blood tests for menopause. But it's one of the times that a blood test might be indicated because you may well not have a period because of your Mirena coil. Can we talk about the symptoms for the perimenopause? Um, Lightheadedness, aching joints. Yeah. Poor yeah, memory so that, is something that comes up. Is that just old age or is that, is that juggling too many balls? Yeah, there is a sort of crossover. So I think that's partly why lots of women don't realise they're in perimenopause mm. because they are juggling so many balls. Because we have oestrogen receptors all over our body, we kind of feel those effects all over our body. So, you know, skin, Sorry, heart, sorry, an oestrogen receptor is... Once your oestrogen levels start declining, that means you feel these effects in the places where you have oestrogen receptors. And those oestrogen receptors are in your heart, your skin, you know, your bowel, your bladder. They're all over your body. So as your levels kind of dip, that's when you find that you, you get these kind of debilitating symptoms. So things like psychological symptoms like memory loss, Difficulty concentrating, I know that came up in one of the questions, anxiety, Mm. loss of confidence, you know, mood swings. But then Mm. there's also these real kind of physical manifestations, so lightheadedness, heart palpitations, joint aches, acne, thinning hair, you know, lots of weight gain, particularly around the middle. You know, there's some really unusual ones like burning mouth syndrome. There's something called formication, which is like insects are crawling under your skin. So It sounds all kind of doom and gloom, but yeah, the symptoms, there's a lot of them. 34 is, it's widely reported, but I think probably more. I'm back onto the marina coil. Someone's asked actually if the coil will help diminish those menopause symptoms. I would say that it doesn't really protect you from those symptoms. A lot of the time, the marina coil, people feel a bit bloated, maybe a bit more vaginal dryness with it. And alongside the other hormonal changes that are going on, it, it can potentially exacerbate it as well. Um, hot flushes is something that comes up a lot. Is hot flushes perimenopause stage? Is that menopause stage? Um, how do you deal with them? It's really normal, isn't it? Talk to us about hot flushes. 
I mean, it's usually one of the first symptoms for a lot of women. And the reason is because, particularly the hormone estrogen, it um, helps to control our temperature. So it's for temperature regulation. And we don't know the exact kind of mechanism behind why we get a hot flush. But what tends to happen is that your blood vessels vasodilate. So they swell up a little bit. You feel sort of hot, sweaty, red. And things like anxiety, stress, alcohol, caffeine can exacerbate it. And it's all, again, because of our estrogen declining during that perimenopause. And it can happen throughout. So it can happen in your perimenopause when you're menopausal and even postmenopausal, 9% of women who are still hot flushing at the age of 60, it can carry on for you know, a small percentage of women. What other things is it doing to the rest of your body? What's happening to your skin? What's happening to your bones? And what can we do to lessen those effects? So oestrogen helps to build collagen and um, maintain that elasticity in our skin. So we know that um, going through menopause, women lose about 30% of that collagen in their skin. And that's why they say, oh, you know, our skin feels a little bit more saggy or we've lost our jawline. Skin becomes a bit drier and they talk about fine lines and wrinkles. So those are some of those symptoms that can occur, you know, impacting your skin and women feel that they've aged a bit faster. And what can you do to combat that? I mean, HRT, you know, if you've got other symptoms and going on to hormone replacement treatment, there are lots of sort of skincare brands out there that help, that can boost. And, you know, one of the ones that claims to help with estrogen receptors and helping sort of build that density is Emapel, which I often do recommend to some of my patients, particularly who are worried about that sort of loss of volume in their face. And also, you know, one of the things that we talk about is lifestyle, you know, diet, nutrition. You know, it's all about getting your glow back and getting getting your skin looking healthy. You said MFL. Can you um, elaborate on that, Shazadi? Yeah. So it's a skincare brand called Emapel. It triggers those receptors in our skin, which normally would have responded to our hormone estrogen. But because we no longer have that hormone or we've got less of it, so it sort of does the work that that was doing, helping to build up density, helping to maintain elasticity. So it's one of the brands. There are other brands doing similar things as well. Okay. Emma, lifestyle. I mean, I've heard it said that, yeah, diet and also exercise and looking after your body is a huge part of getting through this in one piece what can you do what's the most important things I think the good news is there's lots that you can do so even if you're going down the hormone replacement therapy route you still have to very much focus on your diet and lifestyle so particularly early on it's quite helpful introducing things like phytoestrogen foods so these kind of behave in a much weaker form so a couple of portions of those a day have been shown to help with things like hot flushes in some women So you can find them in flax seeds, you know, soy products, chickpeas, that kind of thing. I think it's really important for bone health to make sure that women are getting enough calcium. So you're looking at 700 milligrams if you're under 50, 1200 milligrams if you're over. The kind of general advice that nutritionists are always telling you is, you know, eat more plant-based foods. You don't need to be vegan necessarily, but more whole foods, you know, whole grains, vegetables, fruit, nuts, seeds. They're all really good for gut health and they have a kind of positive impact on every organ in our body. Reducing alcohol and caffeine can really help with hot flushes as well as sleep and anxiety. It's also quite important to reduce saturated fat around this time because we really need to look after our heart health. Don't be frightened of fat. So plenty of healthy fats because your hormones are actually made from fats. So things like oily fish, you know, lots of extra virgin olive oil, avocados, chia seeds, walnuts, all of those. 
it sounds to me that this is the kind of stuff we're told to do regardless. And what you're mm. saying is now is a more important time than yeah. ever to take control of your diet and your lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. And you can't yeah, set healthy exactly. habits and you can't get away with eating crap and exactly. drinking all night. <laughs> yeah. You can't get away in your 40s what you did in your 20s and 30s, sadly. Okay. Talk to us about thinning um, and loss of hair. Is this normal? Yeah, about a third of women say that they lose hair. You might even find that you start losing pubic hair so it can become a lot more sparse, which might be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your point of view. (laughs) (laughs) But in general, as with most things in perimenopause, it's caused by estrogen deficiency. So again, a balanced diet, but also it's worth checking your thyroid because that can impact hair loss. Um, And also getting your iron checked, you know, especially... If you're having heavy periods, because a lot of women will find that their periods get heavier during perimenopause. So make sure that you are optimal. So not just in range. So when you go to your GP, get your results so that you know exactly where you're at. The other thing is because your estrogen levels are down, your hormone testosterone can sometimes be more dominant. And we know that testosterone also contributes towards hair thinning and hair loss. So it's an imbalance, again, of hormones, which is sort of triggering this hair loss. And as Emma said, you know, an underactive thyroid also becomes more common the older that we get. Okay, let's talk about sex drive. Sex drive is often talked about in relation to the menopause. Is that something you expect to experience during the perimenopause phase as well? And, you know, aside from HRT, is there anything you can advise to boost your sex drive if you are struggling with it during that time? During that perimenopause, because, you know, often you're feeling tired, your body shape has changed, you know, women feel less confident, they feel less sexy. Why has your body shape changed? Your body shape changes because you end up gaining weight around the middle because your metabolism slows down. So, So as we age, we naturally gain about half to one kilo per year, irrespective. But because our metabolism slows down as well, that's one of the reasons it tends to deposit around the middle because of another hormone called insulin, which doesn't tend to work as well. So all of these factors mean that a woman can sort of feel less sexy, less like herself. Mm -hmm. Along with that, there's your skin, your hair, you're tired, you've got hot flushes, night sweats, also vaginal dryness. So estrogen is really responsible for that plumpness inside the vagina and for lubrication. You know, you can feel quite dry down there. And you know, women start to sort of then worry that maybe their body's not going to respond. And it sort of then perpetuates itself. So there are things that you can do. I mean, one of the things is, again, lifestyle, exercise, to really get yourself sort of um, zhuzhed up again. I know we talk about HRT, taking it sort of generally for the body, but you can have localized estrogen, which is, you know, just pessaries that you insert inside your vagina to make it more healthy. And that in itself can sometimes help women a little bit with their sex drive. One of the things I do in my clinic also is a vaginal rejuvenation treatment with Femilif laser. That helps with postmenopausal dryness. That helps with sort of improving lubrication. So these are things that you can do which are non-hormonal. But, you know, I think the best things are really hormonal. We'll come on to the, the hormonal treatments just in a moment. Can we just revisit exercise? Because I feel like exercise comes up a lot. We mm. had a, a doctor who specialised in women's health. She came on our show the other day, uh, Dr. Georgie Fraser. A lot of the advice she gave for suffering with periods or suffering with menopausal symptoms or whatever, a lot of her advice was like exercise, exercise, exercise. 
it was a pretty clear message from where I was sitting. Would you agree with that? And why is that so important? I think it's super important for everything. It impacts your mood, it impacts your sleep. You know, it's really beneficial for cognition. So if you suffer from brain fog, it's really good for particularly strength training. I don't know if she touched on that, but because we tend to experience sarcopenia, which is a kind of loss of, of muscle mass, So the more muscle you have, the higher your metabolism is. And we know that as we age, our metabolism does tend to decline. Mm. So building up muscle, I think, is one of the most important things that perimenopausal women can do. And as a minimum, we should be doing about 150 minutes of sort of what we call moderate exercise or 75 minutes of HIIT exercise, along with two strength training exercises per week. And it's good for our bones. So you were going to say a day. I was going to say that. No, no, not not a day, just twice a week. I think also women quite often are very cardio focused. You know, we've kind of had that pounded Mm. into us. I think if you're doing long cardio sessions, it's quite stressful on an already stressed body in the perimenopause. So just in summary, just so we're really clear, menopause, going back to the beginning, menopause, you're saying on average 51, but it can obviously happen younger you're mm. saying perimenopause, kind of mid forties, yeah. And ultimately, what you're expecting to see is potentially a change in your period lightness or heaviness, and you're starting to see the same kind of symptoms that you're going to see when you're menopausal, but you're just experiencing them less intensely in the run up. Would you agree that that's just as a kind of definition? Well, in the menopause, actually, a lot of your symptoms will stop. You know, some women, as I think okay. Dr. Harper already said, will find that hot flushes and things like that continue. But for the majority, once you've had your final period and you are postmenopausal, you're menopausal, usually your symptoms will decline. So, I'm going to slightly disagree with it in, in a sense. I would say, you know, they can carry on, you know, sort of almost like brackets around that menopause. Women are 55, 58 you know, almost up to 10 years. But yes, it, there's a peak around menopause and then it sort of slightly declines and tails off as we get older. So yes, in that respect, yes. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Can we talk about what can you take? I mean, are there supplements that you advise people start to take um, in the perimenopause? Definitely. I think there's quite an over-reliance on supplements. I think because women feel quite desperate and they quite often aren't finding the answers to their problems, perhaps from their GP, um, or they're kind of suffering in silence. So they're tending to a bit of a scattergun approach. 
But that said, there are a few that I really recommend. So vitamin D is a prerequisite, I think, for everybody. We should all be taking that anyway. And I would advise a D3 type that you take with vitamin K. Often you can get them combined. They're quite cheap because that really helps with bone health. Everything else you really should be able to get from food. But if you are worried that you are, you know, if you're really exhausted and you're not eating that well, a good multivitamin will kind of cover all bases. Okay. Um, and you talk about bone health, just to be clear, the quality of your bones. Yeah, from, your from bone density. You, when you stop producing oestrogen, your bone density. That lowering of oestrogen impacts your, your bone health. So women are, you know, more at risk of osteoporosis post 50. Yes. So if you're in your 20s, 30s, for God's sake, now you need now. to be really prioritising your bones or it's too late. And I can't stress this more. Lots of specialists have said this, like it's so... It's not being jumped into no. people enough no. in their 20s. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Your peak bone mass, you know, you reach that in your late 20s. Now, that's mm. pretty early. So, mm. yeah, you really want to be focusing on lots of exercise, lots of calcium. That's why I said about those targets. You need to really try and hit those targets. Magnesium can also be really helpful for bone health. It's good for muscle aches. It's good for restless legs. It's good for sleep. That's one that I think that really kind of helps women, particularly if you take it at night. And a good probiotic, you know, for gut health. Because gut health is super important. And uh, when it comes to bones, it's to do impact exercise, not swimming and cycling. That's not really going to cut it when it comes to sort of maintaining your bone density. So you've got to do impactful exercise. So any other supplements we haven't covered that you would say are worthwhile? Omega-3 is a really good one. A good fish oil or an algae-based oil if you're vegetarian or vegan. So they're really good for skin health, can be good for vaginal dryness. It's really good for brain health. And not that many people are into oily fish. So, you know, salmon, mackerel, herring, sardines, that kind of thing. So if you're not an oily fish eater, then, yeah, a good omega-3 will definitely bring your levels up. That's probably the most expensive. The others are all fairly reasonably priced. Someone has asked about affordable supplements. And obviously, there are some of them that really are hugely expensive these days. Is there anywhere you'd recommend to go that are a bit more reasonable I would go for the most expensive ones that you can afford within your budget. And actually, most of them are very reasonably priced. It's usually just the omega-3 that, you know, costs a bit more, 30 or 40 pounds, whereas the others are around a tenner. Okay, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Let's talk about HRT, hormone replacement therapy. So this is to replace the loss of estrogen in your body. It got a really bad rap, didn't it, in the 90s, whenever it was... But it it is widely prescribed and can be really beneficial for women at this time, right? I think it got a really bad press in like 2000, 2001, because there were a couple of studies that came out and they had to be stopped early because of negative results. But one of the things to remember and put into perspective is that HRT we don't prescribe anymore. That was from an equine urine, a horse's urine. It was made from that. And also the women were much older. The average age was 63. So we know that starting HRT younger, the guidelines are within 10 years of menopause. And the ones that we now offer, the HRT preparations, are what we would call body identical. They very much mimic what our body would naturally produce. They go through the skin. I think uh, there are much safer preparations out there. And there are so many benefits that you can get from HRT, from your heart, your bone, your brain, and also, you know, from your skin and your hair perspective. So I think it's sort of time to put a bit more of a positive 
spin on it and also yeah. to put risks into perspective because everybody talks about breast cancer, breast cancer, but people seem to forget that actually only 2% of breast cancers are caused by HRT, 8% from um, obesity, and 23% of breast cancers could be avoided if we changed our lifestyle, you know, sort of stopped smoking, ate better, took exercise. So there are lots of factors there. You know, from a heart health point of view, six times more women die from cardiovascular disease than they do from breast cancer. So I think it's time to give women the right information so they can make an informed choice. And I think that's something that often annoys me because I think women are being denied treatment and they're sitting there suffering or giving up their jobs because they can't continue because of this bad press that HRT's had without knowing the full facts. Well, I would say I think a lot of doctors are singing from the same hymn sheet as you. I've definitely heard the same thing. So with pro-HRT, it's obviously there are exceptions to the rule, but this is something that happened a long time ago, so you need to take that. Um, yeah. How do you get HRT? Is this something a GP can prescribe or do you have to go to a specialist doctor for that? No, it is something your GP can prescribe. It is only prescribable, but I think often there are a lot of GPs who maybe don't feel as comfortable or don't know as much. So a lot of the time women yeah. do want to go to see a specialist. Yeah, and, and that's why I suppose I see a lot of women in clinic. And at roughly what time, stage in their journey, perimenopausal, etc., average ages, should you be thinking about HRT? So I often say that women should be coming more aware of their hormones from the age of 40 onwards. And it's really when those symptoms start to impact. Like we've said before, there are lots of things around this time of life that could make you feel tired or stress and children, work, all of that. But I think when those hormonal symptoms are starting to impact you, that's the time to go and to discuss it. Actually, even before that, almost to have a health check, to have a little bit of an MOT, to work out what's going on in your body, prepare for that next stage of life and really go and have a discussion with your doctor, with your GP. So you ask the question, when do most people come in? For me, because I'm very proactive and I want to see women earlier rather than later, I tend to see women, you know, sort of mid-40s or even earlier. But that doesn't mean to say I don't see women, you know, so who are older or anything like that. But, you know, very much I like to capture women in their perimenopause. And I've heard of topical HRT. What's your view on that? So it's obviously something you swallow, but there are also all these sort of topical HRT creams, aren't they? And I've heard some people swear by them. Where do you stand on those? So I think what you're referring to there are, is bioidenticals, you know, which are non-regulated creams. But, you know, the ones I've mentioned, the body identical is also a gel. It is taken through the skin. Patches are taken through the skin. And the oh, okay. micronized progesterone that I prescribe also is natural, but it's regulated. So the creams that people are sort of swearing about are these bioidentical creams, which are from um, practices which is non-regulated creams. They don't have the evidence behind them. They're not supported by the British Menopause Society or the NICE guidelines. So I don't prescribe those, but I do prescribe gels that go through the skin, which um, provide you with oestrogen, which are also body identical, but is regulated and supported by the British Menopause Society and scientific papers. So how do you take HRT? So you can take it through the skin as a gel or you can take it through the skin as patches. Right. Or you can take it orally. Okay. And is there, do you have a preference on which is most effective or is it purely a personal thing? I wouldn't say which is most effective, but I tend to prescribe the gels because they tend to be the safest and the most natural. Emma, what do you have to add, agree with, disagree with on what Shazadis just said? 
I totally agree. HRT is a really useful, you know, road to go down, but it's a very personal choice. But yeah, I'm 100% behind it. I think whether you go down that route or not, diet, lifestyle, and in some cases, supplements all kind of make up this very 360 degree kind of holistic approach. Where can people go if they don't have huge budget for help and don't feel like their GP is providing them with what they need? I mean, what I would say is if you don't have the budget to go to um, a specialist clinic is if one GP in your practice isn't accessible, go to another one. There are also NHS menopause clinics that you can be referred to. This is something to invest in yourself. You know, you get a whole holistic medical approach. We're very used to spending money on our hair, clothing, makeup. And yet this is one thing sometimes I, I don't understand why women, we almost sort of um, step back from. So it is an investment in yourself, yeah. um, but it's also an investment in your future. But you can go down the NHS and GP route and maybe just push a little bit harder. Is there anything else health-wise, treatment-wise? I mean, we've covered diet and exercise and lifestyle. We've covered HRT, bioidenticals. Is there any other form of product that people should try, use during the stage of their life? There's lots of complementary therapies that kind of anecdotally have various levels of success. So, you know, there's kind of magnet therapy that you can use. But basically, I think... Whatever it takes to make you feel better. So, you know, you can try all these different things, but don't spend a lot of money on them, particularly if you're trying them for a month or two months and, it, and it's just not working. I think the most important thing you can do is to listen to your body. So, yeah. you know, say no to stuff that you don't want to do. Start really putting yourself first. And I think sharing. So talking to your family, talking to your boss, if you feel that they're open to it, just so that everybody is aware of what you're going through this is almost like a kind of reverse puberty this time of life and I think we often give teenagers we cut them some real slack you know we let them sleep in you know we let them fly off the handle or they kind of behave irrationally so I think the same allowances need to be afforded to perimenopausal women but they're not going to be afforded to them unless people are aware that this is what's happening breakfast in bed key (laughs) definitely um Okay, we've got some questions now. I think we've we've covered quite a lot of the questions we had in from readers. I've now got a list of questions sort of in no particularly logical order, which I want to fire at you, a kind of quick round session, if you like. So I'm going to kick off. The first one is, will the menopause make my lipedema worse? I don't know what lipedema is. Can we have a quick answer on that one? It sounds quite niche. Lipedema is um, sort of fat cells underneath the skin and it tends to be sort of, you know, ankles are thicker, your lower parts of your legs and it can be hormonally dependent. Some people say it gets worse, some people say it gets better. So I think it depends on you. Okay. Who's a good gynecologist, menopause specialist to see if you're someone who has been through breast cancer? Oh, I mean... Dr. Harper? Yeah, I was going to say me. (laughs) I mean, a menopause doctor, yeah. I mean, the thing is, we've talked about HRT and it's really important to also talk about menopause in a very inclusive manner. And some women with breast cancer can't, you know, take HRT. And we need to understand that. And that's why the holistic approach is very important. So come and have a chat. Uh, Someone said their skin has gone like a teenager again with horrendous spots. Is this a common problem? Yeah, it's really common. Yeah, it's usually because your testosterone levels have become more dominant. I know. It's It's not that they're high, they just become more dominant. And so that's why you get that middle-aged acne. So the answer is to get your hormones in balance. You can do a lot with skincare. You know, things like a really good retinol will pay massive dividends when it comes to acne. 
Okay. If you've got a higher risk of cancer, whether it's breast ovarian due to family history, can you take HRT? It depends on what the cancer is. And, you know, one of the things is that's maybe one of the times that you need to have genetic testing to work out what your hereditary background and predisposition is. Someone said they have mild cramps most days, but they haven't had a period for five months. Is that normal? Yeah. 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 Short answer, yes. That's a short <laughs> answer. Okay. Can hormone therapy to treat endometriosis cause perimenopausal symptoms? So that is a very niche question there. So one, sometimes one of the treatments for endometriosis is to put you into an artificial menopause and then give you add back hormone therapy. So okay. it really depends what they're asking, but that can be the case. Okay. Someone said if you have excessive bleeding, flooding at the start of your period, is that normal during the stage of your life? And can you do anything to stop it? Yeah. Yes, it is. And a marina coil is a perfect thing to do at this point in okay. time. And it is licensed for that. And marina coil, is that something you might keep in throughout the perimenopausal stage up until you menopause have your last period? Or even longer, because you can have that as your progesterone component of your HRT. But you need to keep okay. changing it every five years. So, yes. yes. Are you still fertile during the perimenopause stage? Could you still conceive? Yes. So be yes. careful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 1% uh, of women get pregnant at the age of 50. So, yes, you could. Okay. Someone said, I'm 33, constantly going through hot flushes. Am I premenopausal? You could, could be. be. what are your thoughts on the contraceptive pill over the age of 40 there's no contraindication to it unless you've got risk factors if you're a smoker if you're obese if you've got migraines then yes you know we would want to change you over to the progesterone only pill but if you are fit healthy you can stay on the combined contraceptive pill up until the age of 50 okay someone said how do i get my local gp to recognize my symptoms and prescribe pathos gels What what are pathos Pastels, I think. I think they're talking about bioidenticals. Your GP won't prescribe that because that's not on the they NHS. Won't. No. Okay. So if you want to go down the pastels and gels route, you need to go to a specialist. We wouldn't recommend those because those are the non-regulated bioidenticals. If you want to try these bioidentical gels, where do you go? You Google and you find one of those clinics okay. and doctors. All right. We're not going to get that from Shisati and Emma. The beginning of that question, how to get your GP to recognise your symptoms, because sometimes this is quite hard. There is something called the Green Climacteric Scale, which has a list of all the symptoms which you can kind of tick off. I often tell clients to take that to their GP because, you know, you have a 10 minute quite short appointment. And so you don't kind of forget anything and they can see there and then. Good advice. What was it called? Can you say again slowly what it was called, Emma? The Green Climacteric Scale. So just Google it. I've got one on my website, actually, so, so you can print it off Perfect. and take it. Yeah. So there you go. Do fluctuating hormones affect your digestion and your regularity to pass? Yes, absolutely. You have oestrogen receptors in your gut, so it affects the motility of your gut. So some women will find that they have a lot more kind of IBS-type symptoms. They might get diarrhea, they might get constipation, or they might get a mix of the two. Um, they might get lots more bloating. So, yeah, it's a very common symptom. OK, someone's asked where the best place is to get your hormone levels tested. Well, come to clinic and we can organise those for you. I mean, usually your GP won't do it. The NICE guidelines say that if you're over the age of 45 and you've got symptoms of menopause, then you don't need to have blood tests. The only time that you might need blood tests are, for example, when you've got a morena coil or if you're on the progesterone-only pill um, or if you're under the age of 45. If you want to get it tested, then yes, usually... 
you may well have to go to a private clinic or have a reason that your GP might want to check them for you. Okay. Someone said, does it matter when you apply the estrogel? Should it be AM or PM? She said applying it in the evening is keeping her awake at night. Well, then change it to the morning. Some women say that. I mean, I usually do say use it in the morning. Some women say it helps them to sleep at night. So, but on the whole, I usually say apply it in the morning. How long on average would you expect to take HRT? How long does an average woman take it for? I suppose we're in a new generation right now. I mean, once upon a time, it was said five years, 10 years. There is no end point now. So you could effectively continue with HRT until you're 80, 90. But probably, you know, we would be changing your dose, reducing it, you know, putting it into perspective with how your medical history changes through that time. So there is no end point, you know, there's no time limit for you to be on HRT. It depends on how well you feel and how medically well you are. And how often should you have that level assessed? I think at least once a year. And maybe at the beginning when you go onto HRT, it should be maybe every three or six months. Okay. We're nearly at the end. We've got through all of the questions, which is amazing. Amazing. Um, one thing I wanted to flag, and, and actually when I put this onto my um, Instagram and said, I'm doing this podcast, have I got any questions? I mean, I said 80 questions, but um, I think we've covered them all. But a couple of people said, it's not a question. I just want to say it's not all bad. And yeah. and I was, you're both nodding. And I interviewed somebody the other day and she's 50, an absolute babe, super cool, loving life. And she just said, when well, my friends moan about the menopause, I say, just go and do something fun and stop wallowing in it. Don't think about it. And I just thought, God, I'm going to remember that when I get to that stage. Not everybody has a shit time. Not no. everybody is massively impacted by huge anxiety and sweats and obviously that's a part of it that's totally normal you're not on your own but like some people suffer from severe period pain some people don't you know I I just can we finish on a high note and say it's not all doom and gloom what what would you add to that I haven't been there myself but I I, I'd like you to leave me with something positive I think it can be a real time of growth you know it's a time for women to really look inwards and assess where they are with their health, you know, with their relationship, with their work. So, yeah, I think it can absolutely be a really positive time. And often women are more, you know, at ease. They know themselves. Their, their intuition is better. They're smarter. They're wiser. You know, it's a privilege to reach midlife. And for a lot of people, life's just beginning. Would you agree? Yeah. I think it's a real liberating time. It can be a real empowering time. You can be the woman that you wanted to be. You can be feisty. You can start a new business. You know, like I have. I only opened my clinic, you know, less than two years ago in the midst of hormonal turmoil. So I think that it is very much a time that you can be sexually liberated. You don't have to worry about contraception at one point, you know, and you can be fun and feisty. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's a very empowering time for women and they should take it in in that kind of positive way for that next stage of life really moving forward well thank you both i always say knowledge is power and so i'm certainly grateful to have these conversations because it will hit me uh, before i know it i'm sure um and i will remember your wise words thank you both so much thank you emma thank you thank you shazadi love to chat to you there will be links in the notes below if you'd like to get in touch with Emma or Shazadi for more advice then please do that's it for today if you enjoyed that then do please leave us a comment tell your friends and we will be back soon thanks very much bye-bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.